Is this, is this on? Yes, my lord. Good, good. <clears throat> Hello, this is God speaking. Can we dial that down? Yes, my lord. Thanks. Welcome, new arrival to the Eternity Ward. Please take a number and make your way down to the left or the right to the waiting room. All you need is there the refreshments I made just for you. <laughs> I would tell you to steer clear of the apples, they're forbidden, um, and the two snakes, <clears throat> I mean fools, sorry, that are chewing the fat in the corner, but you probably wouldn't listen anyway. So good luck, I bless you, and on your way. Welcome to the Eternity War, where we flick spitballs at the teacher, sit at the back of the class giggling, pass notes to each other, and wait either for an appointment with God or for the bell to go to signal recess. <laughs> I'm Chris Adams. And I'm Nick McKinnon. Yes, and we're going to be talking about education. Are we, uh, we're also doing this uh, show live, so if you hear us referring to questions, then that's because we've gotten some live questions. But yes, did you call it recess when you went to school, Nick? Because like I, I remember primary school, we called it little lunch in primary school. It depends which sort of state you grew up in and stuff. What did you call it? That's funny. I do, now that you mention it, I do remember little lunch. I don't know when it was called that, but yeah, at some point. Um, but I always got confused between recess and morning tea. So they were sort of interchangeable, I think. Morning tea? You, you had morning tea at school? Well, it wasn't called Smoko. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, talking education. Uh, and you wanted to talk about education, Nick. It's something that you know, hopefully we, we both know a bit about, both having worked in schools for quite a long time. So, why do you want to talk about education tonight? Well, it's obviously a fairly important subject. And like you said, it's something that you and I know something about. Like we've both worked in education for a decade plus. Yeah. And I thought, I think there's a lot in education that could be changed pretty easily. And so what was the thing that, you know, where did the itch come from, the scratch, the, what, to want to talk about this? Where, why were you inspired to do that? Well, there was one article that I came across semi-recently. Um, I think it was in the Sydney Morning Herald where it talked about that the UN, there was an agency in the UN, I think it was UNICEF, I think it might have been, um, that ranked the OECD countries in terms of their educational outcomes and Australia ranked 39 out of 41 countries there. So there are only 41 countries in that study and Australia came 39th, which is pretty scary. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a look at that. So it's mostly you know, fairly developed countries that made that list. Yeah. Yeah, that they were looking at, right? But, yeah, still 39th out of 41. Yeah, it's not good. No, that's not. So, so you're thinking we need some sort of reform within the education system to arrest that decline. Well, I don't know what your experience has been in schools, but I've definitely, having working in them, I can definitely see a lot of room for improvement. Now, that's not saying that, you know, it's a pile of shit and nothing is going right. There's plenty that goes right and certainly it's not a let's bag out teachers or let's bag out principals or even let's bag out governments and the way they've handled things. Like I think there's blame to go around everyone. But yeah, I think there's some pretty easy fixes and also some more 
substantial fixes that would really take a lot to change them. But I think, yeah, there's there's plenty there that can be done. So the study that you read, did they have a clear idea of what it was that was going wrong with education in Australia that we were ranked 39? Like, is it literacy? Is it numeracy? Is it, you know, more than that? Is it behavioural? Like, what was their... How did they come to the decision that we were that poor? Yeah, so it looks at the performance of 15-year-olds in reading, maths and science, as well as the quality and level of access to early schooling. And apparently that's a fairly big issue, uh, access to early schooling, which is interesting because we had in Tasmania, um, the Liberal government were trying to implement younger schooling. So I think from when kids turned four, I think it was, and people got up in arms about that and were like, you know, kid, that's too young for kids to be sitting in a structured environment. They need to, you know, let them be kids and keep playing and stuff. So it's interesting that that's one of the issues that was highlighted by this UN agency. Yeah, when I was reading, it was sort of stating that, yeah, the countries that have organised some preschool services that help set a student up for school, so it's not just like a childcare situation where they're just looking after them, letting them play or something, but it's actually helping to organise them, get ready for school, that that's one of the most effective ways to, to raise the education level within the nation at that young an age. It's crazy. Yep. So, you know, I wouldn't have any idea about that, so I wouldn't want to try and comment. But, yeah, we're obviously not doing as well as some other countries. But it was also about participation rates, you know, in that early schooling. So we were one of Mm. the lowest at, you know, just I think Turkey was the only country below us where they had 72% of children attending early education, where the countries that were doing fantastic were up around 99.9%, 100% sort of thing. So so is that like the Scandinavian countries? Yeah, so they're, they're the countries that recently have been just right up the top of levels of education. And, and I think it's really worth looking at how they do education. Yeah, for sure. So if they're doing it and it's working, why aren't we doing it? <laughs> That's the question I always want to ask. Why do, because there's a lot of complaint that we have this curriculum that's, you know, it's sort of an old curriculum in some ways that just keep like putting students through this grinder, through this meat grinder of this curriculum and I don't know, expecting the same results. And I, I feel like young people are a bit different today than, you know, when I went through school. Yeah. Well, I know this. I don't know which of the Scandinavian countries, but one of them is going so far as to remove subjects from their curriculum. So they're not even going to have subjects, which is a pretty wow. out there idea. <laughs> I don't know how you yeah. do school like that. But yeah, so there's there's some other ways to look at doing it. I'm, I'm not convinced that just because it's working for the Scandinavian countries that it would necessarily work here. Like there's some big cultural factors there. Like we've got a multicultural society. The Scandinavian countries are highly monocultural. They are very, very wealthy. They've got massive oil reserves. So they're super rich essentially. So it's it's not a apples to apple comparison. So I don't know how, you, how much you take from that, but it's certainly worth looking at what they're doing and thinking about whether it would help. But I think there's plenty of other things that we can do that would definitely make an impact. Like, I don't know about getting rid of subjects, but I definitely think that our schools place way too much emphasis on literacy and numeracy. I don't know what you think about that. But like the the school that my kids go to, which is a primary school, in, in the latest newsletter, it talked about how their focus for the last five years has been on literacy and numeracy. And it was like, why? Like, literacy and numeracy are important. Of course they are. But why are they more important than anything else? Like, a, mm. it, it, it's not an obvious statement to me to say that they're more important than 
dance or more important than music or more important than science or more important than anything else. What do you reckon about that? Yeah, I agree. Um, They're easier to test for. That's certainly true. They're easier to test for. But other than that, I don't know if they're useful. You know, I get students come to me and they, they hate maths. They hate it. And they always try to avoid it and get out of it. They hate it, hate it, hate it. And I'm like, oh, how do I, you know, inspire them to to want to do maths? <laughs> it's really hard because, you know, I'm sort of with them <laughs> a bit. You know, I'm like, oh, I look at some of the problems they have to solve and I'm going, yikes. <laughs> I don't remember how to do that. And do I use that? That's a great question that they, you know, it's like, am I ever going to use this? Well, you're going to use a lot of maths, but are you going to use the really complicated stuff? I don't know. But maths for me, you know, I'd like to try and talk to them about it in the terms of I think maths helps you develop your brain in such a way that you become good at solving problems. Yep. And you're going to have problems in life. You're going to have problems. And and this wires your brain, you know, wires the neurons in your brain to be able to go from this point to that point and, you know, around a corner and be creative and finding a solution to a problem. So I think it's a really helpful subject. And I think it's an essential subject. I think teachers aren't trained terribly well in articulating, especially in subjects like maths. I don't think they're trained very well in articulating to students why they should be learning it, like what Mm. you were describing before. Like a student asks, why the hell do I need to learn algebra? Mm. I don't think I've heard very many teachers articulate it very well. And I think there are good good answers to it. And, you know, the job of a teacher is bloody difficult. And, you know, you'll hear some people talking about how they get however many weeks off per year. And part of that's true. But also, they're not just there at school from nine till three. If you think that you're a bloody idiot and you don't spend enough time in schools to have any idea and you shouldn't be commenting. But yeah, I, I think teachers could get better at explaining why you need to learn something. Because if, if I'm not convinced that I need to learn something, why am I going to put in any effort to actually learn it. I'm already forced to be there five days a week in a place that I don't really want to be and I'm constantly getting messages that I don't know what the hell I'm doing and I'm just being told to try harder and I am trying, thank you very much. Um, And so, like, with a subject, like any subject that isn't obviously relevant to my life, like algebra or something like that, I think, yeah, like you were saying, you have to be able to articulate to the student why it's going to be important for them in the future. And so, yeah, like you were saying, like, yeah, you're not going to be using algebra for the rest of your life, but you're going to be using your brain for the rest of your life. And so you need to be doing things that are developing your brain right now. If you just go sit home and play your PlayStation, that ain't going to do much. So, yeah, it'll be more fun for right now. But if you want to actually be an intelligent person going forward into the future who can make good decisions, who can make your life better who can open more options to yourself, then you do need to do things that stretch you and that are difficult Mm. and that challenge you. And you do need to get help from people to help you get over those hurdles because you won't be able to figure it all out yourself. And that's why you have a teacher. But you do need to get into the habit of finding yourself in a difficult position where I'm going, crap, I don't know what I'm doing. And then an hour later, you've struggled, you've struggled, you've struggled and you've got through it and you've worked it out. Mm. And maths is good for that because... It does work a particular part of your brain, a particular problem-solving aspect that you do use problem-solving all the time. And because it's abstract, 
can be helpful. Now, could it be helpful if you also have a lot of less abstract things that do seem more practical? Yes. So I think maths, in maths in particular, there should be a lot more done in terms of day-to-day stuff. Like I think there should be a unit in schools, in high schools, about loans versus saving. Mm. And so, like, I don't think any student should come out of school going, I think radio rentals is a good idea. Anyone that goes through radio rentals is someone who clearly did not get educated about maths in their high school because you're you're paying four times the price for something. And if you just had to save for three or four weeks, you could have bought the product brand new and you'd keep it forever. Mm. But it's because they just don't understand that they, they see that, you know, $3 a week and it's just, oh, brilliant, $3 a week, that's nothing. And it is nothing. But the problem is it builds up. Mm. And companies know this and they make massive amounts of money off it. And people that just don't understand numbers just get fooled by it. And that shouldn't be happening. That's something that could be taught in maths. Mm. That goes to a deeper issue as well of, you know, that, when we're talking about a, you know, a gap between rich and poor sort of thing, you know, it's often the, the poorer person that will see the $3 a, a week or whatever it is or a day or, and they'll go for that and they end up paying for it. It keeps someone poorer. Whereas the rich person can just buy it outright and, and essentially they get it cheaper. But yeah, so what about things like, what about other practical things like, you know, I, I don't think I was ever taught how to fill out a tax return and I still struggle. <laughs> they get complicated. <laughs> yeah. There's heaps of those sort of everyday life stuff, like changing an oil in the car. Why do we not get taught that? Why don't we get taught how to change a washer in a tap? Every single person that leaves school should leave knowing how to cook 10 different meals that they like. Yeah. Well, education is is essentially, you know, we put young people through school because this is our accumulated knowledge that humanity has come up with over our civilization that we want to impart to you to be able to go forth and keep our civilization progressing and keep it as healthy and humming as possible. And yet we don't teach much in the way of practical skills a lot of the time. So like I, I wasn't taught to knit either. I, don't, I still don't know how to sew. I can't sew anything. Sewing might be useful, but you don't need to know how to knit. Not knit, sorry. But yeah, like a button comes off. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't know what the hell to do. I'm lucky my wife knows how to do it. But yeah, it's ridiculous. Like there will be people who will just throw shirts out because they just don't know how to do it. Yeah. That's crazy. Have you heard about the idea of, like there's some schools that have started banning homework? Yeah. What do you reckon about that as an idea? I think that's another Scandinavian thing as well. Yeah, I like it. Why? Why? Because it seems to work. (laughs) The, The schools that are doing better and students that are doing better seem to come from schools that I, I don't know why. Why does it work? That's a good question. But, you know, I, I mean, I've heard this, the Scandinavian schools describe it as, well, you know, they need, young people need time to socialise. They need time to play. They need time to be who they are and, and putting them under stress and pressure of, like, I don't come home from work and do extra work. <laughs> well, I try not to. Except for this podcast. Yeah, but- like, why is that a thing? I mean, I don't know. If you're doing an assignment or something, you can, you know, you can do it from home. But I, yeah, it puts pressure on a lot of people. It puts pressure on families, you know, mum and dad having to help out. And Yeah, see, I think that's the part of it that I think is potentially good, that it could engage the parents in, in yeah. the education of their kids. And that could be good. But again, that creates another sort of divide between the kids that have parents who... yeah do want to be engaged with their kids and the kids 
whose parents hated school when they were there and like this I'm sure you would have had this experience that you know a teacher's having a problem with a kid they ring home and the parents just like yeah well school's a waste of time anyway it's just like well what the hell am I meant to do with this kid if the parents aren't going to be supporting their own child in their learning well yeah how the hell do they expect me to do anything? Going back to the homework thing, though, the thing that I like about the idea of not having homework is that you want kids to have a well-rounded life. You don't want it to be all work. Like, I, I want my kids to be playing sport. I think that's really important that they're playing in a team sport. I want them to have time to just be sitting in the lounge room playing with Lego. Like, I think that's important. I don't want them to be freaked out that they've got, you know, three assignments that need to be done in two weeks' time. Mm. So, I don't understand the need for homework. I could be wrong. Like, there might be reasons why it's really important, but I don't understand them is the way I'd probably put it. I think it'd be good to have, like, maybe one major piece of homework for the term or something like that. Sure, yeah. Um, But not these sort of, you know, you're expected that every day you're doing an hour's homework. I think that's, I don't think that's helpful. But again, I could be wrong. There's an argument to be made that students are already spending too much time at school, so giving them extra schooling to do, you know, because like the Scandinavian countries that are sitting on top of how education is going, some of them are doing 20 hours a week of schooling. That's it, 20 hours, and they don't don't show up until like, you know, 10 a.m. or something, and we know how much teenagers need their their sleep. They need more than adults. Um, I, I see students, they're just so restless and trying to sit in those classrooms and listen to a teacher. You know, they sit there for an hour, then they go to another class, sit there for another hour, then they have a break, but then they're back in for another hour and then another hour. You know, it's just, oh, be hard. Been a while since I did it, so... I used to like school, though. I don't know. How did you go at school, Nick? I was always pretty good. Um, I was always sort of maybe in the top 30% of the class, I guess. Like, I was never the top student, but I was somewhere in that range I enjoyed most of it like every you know like everyone you come across shitty teachers and so they were crap my science teacher was awful which I really hate because I love science now and I wonder just how different my life would have been if I had have had a really awesome science teacher Uh, but my yeah my science teacher was a piece of crap but yeah like you know I liked playing sport every lunchtime pretty much (laughs) because what I thought about school and yeah sitting with your mates and making jokes while you pretend to do work Mm. Or do work, whatever. Like, I think all of us humans enjoy having a challenge, but feeling like we have a decent crack at actually overcoming it. And it's a nice feeling when you overcome challenges. And it's nice to get positive um, reinforcement from your teachers going, you're doing a good job, Nick. So, like, I think I had that most of the way through school. Mm. So, it was a, I quite enjoyed being there most of the time because I had all of that. But I totally get that, Yeah, if you were one of these kids who just, you're not built for school. There's a lot of people that aren't. Like, I've read quite a lot about IQ recently and just, like, IQ, there's very little you can do to improve your IQ, you can decrease it pretty easily. Bad nutrition, um, lack of exercise, all those sort of things can decrease your IQ, but increasing it is really difficult. It's pretty much set and it is what it is. And like there's something like 10 or 15% of the population have an IQ of 83 or lower. And that's the cutoff point where the military won't even accept you for anything. Like they just, at that point, they just have decided that you're more harm than whatever good you could provide. Like there's cases of, in the Second World War, um, McNamara, because the US were struggling so much, 
it might have been Vietnam. I don't know if it was Vietnam or World War Two, but McNamara changed the law so that they could accept people with lower IQs into the military. And they just had all of these cases where, like, you know, this dude's sole job was to sit watching a gate and make sure that this person that com- was coming to the gate was American and wasn't um, Vietnamese or whatever it was. And all these cases where they just... They w- they heard them call out. They waved at them, but they still shot them. And other cases where um, there was this guy who was playing pranks on his battalion, and one of the ways he did that was by getting a grenade and leaving the pin in and throwing it, and that freaks people out, of course. <laughs> um, but one time he accidentally pulled the pin out and threw it and killed two dudes. And if that's 10 or 15% of the population, like, what are they going to do? It's just, it's unfair. And that's life. So, there's going to be five or six kids in every class who are like that, who aren't going to get that positive reinforcement that there's this challenge and I overcome it and I feel that sense of positive self-esteem that comes along with that, that I can Mm. achieve things. They never get that. Instead, all they ever get is you're not trying hard enough, you're not concentrating hard enough. And so, like, Martin Bryant had an IQ of, I think it was 67. Mm. And it's just like, guess what his life's been like? He's been told he's a failure his whole life. So, would you claim that, you know, these low IQs would be due to genetics or is this more due to being not ever given that positive feedback? You know, told you're a loser, told you're dumb, told you're stupid, and eventually you believe that and you live that out? No, it's genetics. You think it's genetic? For sure. That's depressing. I'm just wondering when you talk about, you know, it's genetic that some people have just got a lower IQ and, and I, you know, remember learning there are different types of intelligence, you know, so often schools measure, you know, basically the academic type of intelligence and that's, but there are, you know, there's like a social intelligence, there's a musical intelligence, kinetic, you know, your body movement intelligence. So maybe there's a place. Well, I guess you were saying that, that not everyone's built for school. You were saying that earlier. So that, and school doesn't necessarily address all of the, yeah, all of these different things that the way different people are different uh, and the, the different skill sets that, you know, people can come with. So I, oh, it's sad when you see schools focusing so much more on numeracy, numeracy and literacy and, you know, dropping things from their program like arts and music and dance and whatever. So, cause I, I love going into those classes. That's where I see most of these young people thrive. I, I don't enjoy sitting yeah. in a maths class very much, but sitting in an art class and, and talking to someone say, Oh, what's, what's this all about? You know, and, and they, they come alive, you know, they want to show me what they've been working on. So, yeah, more more hands-on stuff suits a lot of people that aren't built for school. I guess when you were talking earlier, right back at the start, about, you know, a lot of these Scandinavian schools are doing away with subjects, which is a weird concept. I don't really fully grasp it, but maybe it's more about what is it that you want to learn? What suits you? How are we going to, you know, let's work with you? Because I think if you want to learn, that makes a difference because we end up throwing all of these people mm. into a school yep. that don't want to be there, that haven't slept, that haven't eaten. Eating, hunger isn't a big issue. That was in the article you sent me that like 16% of under 15-year-olds in Australia lack secure access to sufficient, safe and nutritious food. And that makes a massive, massive difference. Yeah, and not just the amount of food, but also the quality of the food. Like, you'll see kids that their breakfast is an energy drink and a packet of chips, and it's just like, man... 
good luck getting your body ready to learn. I mean, yeah, like it's not their, f- well, I guess it's partly their fault. You can't absolve them of all responsibility, but yeah, like a lot of that's on the parents and, you know, what the hell do I know about what their parents' life is like? They might have had a really shitty life and, but yeah, nutrition absolutely makes a huge difference. And that's why I think, yeah, like if we could reduce the insistence on making literacy and numeracy the focus and instead saying, look, we want every kid that leaves grade 10 to have 10 nutritious meals that they enjoy eating. Like don't just force them to cook a meal that they hate eating, but that they all know how to make 10 decent meals that they enjoy making and that are nutritious. That should happen for every student. And, you know, like you can include literacy and numeracy in that. You can include IT stuff in that. You've got to measure stuff. You've got to count how much of everything you need. And there's plenty of stuff in there that will tie into your literacy and numeracy if that's your the thing you're attracted to focusing on. But, mm. yeah, sorry, I'm ranting. No, no, no. Rant away. I know both of us are pretty passionate about this because we, you know, we've worked with young people for a long time. And I, I think young people in one sense have got it harder than ever, you know, with probably the lack of nutrition that's available to them that, that wasn't for us. And with, you know, technology probably doesn't help either. Phone screens can delay the release mm. of melatonin so that it can affect sleep. And then they've got all of this social media stuff, which they take home and all the bullying. And, yep. and then there's just the accumulation of knowledge that we've now got to throw at them is always more, you know, so there's more that yep. they need to learn. So it, it's hard. And we we throw them all together in this really tumultuous time in their lives when all of the hormones yeah. are racing and they're trying to figure out their identity. And we put them all in a place where they don't want to be and chuck them all in a room for hours on end and expect it to go really well. It's like, it's this crazy social experiment, but it's also a social experiment that we all went through and and we've, yeah. we've come out the other side. And as a society, we've decided that, you know, school, this is what we, we think school is important. We think school matters and, and we're right. <laughs> it matters, but we got to get it as right as possible. We've got to, you know, invest more in it. Like you said, you talked before about the Scandinavian countries are much, you know, richer because they've got all the oil reserves and stuff. And I'm like, going, well, it's also a choice. We're a rich country, you know, like there was a story I saw the other day about one of our banks had a $4.2 billion profit and they were raising rates because, you know, that wasn't enough. It's never enough, you know. <laughs> like, can we have half of that profit, you know, over in the education system? Because we could do a lot with that. No, you can't. Leave the Why free not? market to be the free market, Chris. <laughs> Stop trying to turn us into Stalin's Russia. I, I didn't want all of it. I just wanted some of it, you know. I wanted... <laughs> not going to happen. So what can we do then with the investment that we have? People talk about investing more in education, like money. Mm. I I find this difficult because I I think it's true and I also think it's a load of rubbish because, like, I've I've seen so much wasted at schools, it's ludicrous. Like, I've seen a, I think it was a $12,000 table sat in my office for three years not being used and it's just like, this is so weird. So there's there's plenty of waste that goes on within schools, but I think we do need to spend more money in schools, but I think it has to be really targeted and it has to be tied to really specific things. It can't just be, you know, just give a whole bucket of money. Like I think lowering class sizes is really important. Oh yeah. I know that's a that's an expensive thing to do, but yeah, I think it is. Yeah. I think either you should reduce class sizes to like 15 or another way that I think is probably cheaper and probably more likely to actually happen is 
the idea of having at least one TA in every class. So if you're still having 25, 30 kids in every class, if you've got the teacher who does the teaching, but you've also got a TA in the class who's essentially, like they can help students with classwork as well, but they're also mm-hmm. just making sure kids are on on task. And they're not doing it, you know, walking around with a ruler, but they're doing it in the way that I presume you you and I would have done it, in mm-hmm. that you're, you're sitting down with students and you're chatting with them and you're allowing things to go off subject on occasions, but you're also, because you want it to be a normal relationship, but you're also bringing it back when it's necessary. You don't want it to go too far off the deep end. And I don't know how you found it, but I I found that to be a really good way for classes to function more harmoniously. Yeah, so I reckon if you had a teacher-to-student ratio of, yeah, 15 to 1, and Mm. obviously you'll still have your TAs who are employed to work with the disabled kids. Like, yeah, absolutely, you still want that. You don't want that to be taken away. But, yeah, I think that's an area where it would be useful to increase the funding provided to schools. Oh, I'm totally with you. I think having, you know, the situation that you see in some classes where there could be, you know, up to 30 kids in a class and a whole heap of behavioural problems, even with a a teacher's aid in there, because the teacher aid often doesn't have any authority over the behavioural issues, it becomes, you know, fairly unworkable. I've seen the teachers that are really good at at being able to manage a class that size, but not everyone is. And I, I think it's unreasonable to expect every teacher to be able to. It doesn't mean they're a bad teacher, you know, but like there are teachers out there that aren't, aren't the best. Like you ran into one, you said, through your schooling. I remember running into one through mine. But, you know, working alongside teachers and seeing the passion that they have for it and the amount of work that they put in and the amount of, you know, emotional labor that they carry you know um i I think they do an amazing job and some of them are better at managing a a large group than others so some of the others maybe you could train them but i'm with you i class sizes they need to be smaller you can't do it with 25 to 30 kids yeah so aaron has asked why 15 to 1 some kids can work just as well in a class of 30 and others need to be in a group of five i agree aaron um to a point the thing that I think is helpful with a higher student to teacher ratio or teacher to student ratio, whichever way it is, is that there are some kids that don't get enough love in their life. And if you're not feeling like you're getting the attention that you need, every, every human needs attention. We all need to feel like we're valued and we're loved. If you don't get that at home, you need it twice as much um, in other areas. And if you're not getting it, that's when you end up being a distraction to other students and you bring down the potential of learning of every student in that class. I've seen it so often. There's kids that have it shitty at home and they walk around class just like flicking kids in the ear as they walk past them. It's just like, why the hell are you doing that? Well, you're doing it because you want attention, because you need to feel noticed and valuable and you don't know how to do it in any other way. Whereas if you're getting more time with the teacher, the teacher is able to spend more time with you to connect with you and to show you that you are valuable and to be able to make their learning more individualized. I would say it's an impossible thing for teachers to do when they've got 25 kids in their class to make the learning of each kid individual. They can sort of put it into tiers and that helps, but the lower numbers of students, the higher number of teachers you're going to reduce dramatically the amount of kids disrupting the learning of other kids and that will make it easier 
for everyone. The teachers will finish the day feeling like they've had a good day actually educating people instead of just Mm. dealing with behavioural management all day. They're going to be able to put more effort and energy into lesson plannings. It's a massive win, 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 win. Yes, it'll cost more money to put a teacher's aid in every classroom, absolutely. And yeah, I don't know how you would get that through politically. I know I'd certainly be willing to pay an extra whatever percent that would be. But I understand that, you know, I've had experience working in schools and so I'm biased. Mm-hmm. You know, nurses want more funding in hospitals and, yeah, I understand that. A couple of interesting um, comments that have been made, like uh, Philip saying, um, education is overrated. You can have as much resources as you like, but ultimately what happens between 3 p.m. to 9 a.m. is more important ultimately in the success of a child's education. I think there's a lot of truth in that. And Adam's saying that school is too structured, you know, classes of 20 to 30 and all the same age. Why the same age? And that's an interesting point because I know that we send some students off who, you know, we figured out that school does not suit them and they've been sent off to a behavioural school where the ratio is not, you know, 1 to 25, 1 to 30. It's more like, you know, 1 to 3 or 4. And so they just get someone with them alongside them all the time. And they, and it's a very small school of, you know, like maybe 20 or 30 students students all up and and they thrive (laughs) they thrive and that's what i want to see because often i feel like i'm spending a lot of time helping students to survive school and i want to help them to thrive in school and that's yeah so the, the idea of why do they all have to be the same age that's an interesting question I think it's just easier. I think that would be the yeah. main reason. Like, how else do you do it? Like, I guess you could do an IQ test for everyone. That yeah. might be useful. But, you know, there was also a point earlier where Ben said, you know, like that some of the reasons why we have things like they're all together in the same age because it's easier. It's also why we have school start the time that it does is because that's the time that parents can get them all off to school. So that's going to be a hard one to change. Starting school later, how would you disrupt a whole lot of society to make yeah. large alterations like that. I guess the thing about older, like, so grade 9, 10, 11, 12, those sort of kids, they might be independent enough to get themselves to school maybe, maybe not. I haven't got a kid that's that old yet, so I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, it would, it would be a massive change to society and you wouldn't want it to come at the cost of parents being able to work. Ultimately, I want to see students who want to go to school, who want to learn, you know, that learning about... How to learn can be a big one, you know, to try and get over in the first place. But having a passion for a young person, they they look around at the world and they go, I don't see a future. I don't see where I fit. Maybe they're worried about climate change and or they're worried about the fact that there isn't going to be the right sort of job for them they know that it's going to be hard just getting employed in the first place or they've they've seen a lot of intergenerational unemployment around them i see a lot of people who almost have given up and they're still in school (laughs) yeah and it happens fairly young like grade seven grade eight and you're just like yep those kids have checked out of school it's hard yep so, is there anything else you can think of that you think would send our schools in the right direction? Yeah, I mean, things like I, I remember one school I was working at, you know, in addressing behavioural issues within the school, um, they went on a big a big kick of changing the way from, you know, 
dealing with behavioural issues in a in a punitive way and suspensions and yelling at students and you know like even I remember getting the cane once when I was in primary school. It's, we've come a long a long way and things have changed a lot. But you know, and a lot of people will say, well, you know, kids these days they're really disrespectful. And I, I see people say that. I see I've seen it online. You know, people, they're just wandering around school and they. They swear at teachers and they have no respect. And you know, I've seen students like that, you know, but, but all behavior comes from somewhere. There's a reason behind all behavior. And so mm. I'm less interested in the behavior than I am in what's behind it. And one school I was working at trained everyone in this thing called restorative practices or restorative justice, which, which I thought was a lot more effective than suspensions because some students just, well, holiday. Whereas restorative justice was about, you know, trying to develop the empathy because that's the one of the big problems with teenagers is they're very focused on themselves and that's the way their brain works because they're trying to figure out who they are and where they fit. You might need to explain what restorative justice is, Chris. Well, I guess what they do is, um, for example, let's say there's been a, an issue of bullying. Uh, someone bullied someone in a classroom. And so the teacher would then try and establish everyone that was affected by this incident. So there'd be the bully, the victim, maybe it disrupted the class. So there's some other students who were disrupted by it. Uh, maybe you need to get the parents involved. Uh, so you get everyone in a circle and I guess you'd be talking to, to the people that were involved. You know, how did you feel when this happened? And, you know, what were you thinking at the time? So you hear from, you know, the victim has their say, the bully has their say, and then you figure out together, all together. So how are we going to make this right? You know, so, but I, often I see impunitive justice. The bully doesn't get to hear how they've affected someone else. So that in, in a sense, they don't get a chance to develop the empathy. Hmm. Yep. Uh, there are, there were, there's always going to be situations situations of someone's just you know going to be that much of a dick that that's not going to work <laughs> that sort of system isn't going to work yeah but i think most people most people realize at some point oh that i've hurt that person and i didn't need to do that and why you know and then it's like so then i'm like well why did you do that you know where's that come from and we, we can explore that and mm. it's hard work it takes a long time it's a long process um bullying is just one of the major issues that we that we're facing in Australia, <laughs> with schools and young people, it's in the news all the time. I don't think bullying's a big issue. It's way overblown. You think so? It happens, but, like, it's always happened. Like, it's not like it's some new thing. Like, people talk about, like, it's destroying schools and so it's always been there. Like, I'm not saying it's not an issue. Of course it's an issue and it sucks, but it's not like this is some new thing that's, you know, out of control. But social media has exacerbated it. Yeah, I could see some truth to that. Like it, it makes it turns it into a twenty four seven sort of thing instead of it's just between the hours of nine and three. And when I get home, I'm away from that situation. So that part of it's true. Yeah. So what about testing? Testing. We've got a question here from Adam saying, "What do you think of the use of exams in schooling? Is it worthwhile or too stressful?" Because I do hear a lot of people, you know, wanting Napland to disappear. I don't think the issue is stressful. There's nothing wrong with creating stress in someone's life because that's going to happen out in the real world. I don't think stress is the issue, but are there better ways to learn? That would be my question. Are you just teaching someone how to sit a test where they're going to digest a whole bunch of information, regurgitate it the next day, and then not retain any of it three weeks later? Mm. Um, So I don't think that's helpful. I don't see the point of them. Like, so the thing I think of with education is how is it setting kids up for the real world? And I just don't see, like, where are exams in the real world? It, it, what t- the only time I can think of is like a driver's exam. 
Like there's just no other time. There's no job that you have where you have to sit some sort of test. So, yeah, I, I don't see the point in it. Like I think doing presentations in class is really helpful. <laughs> you should see the students. The students I have that freak out about standing up in front of class and doing a presentation. It's it's the scariest thing in the whole world. That's okay. Yeah, I think so too. And I help them sort of prepare it and practice it and... But yeah, no, I'm, cause I often wonder the, the way we teach, you know, it, there's been a history of, you know, sort of, I guess what they call banking education is you tell them and you practice it and you go over mm. and over and over it and you keep delivering the same thing so that eventually it ends up in there and that works. But I, I always preferred the, the more dialogical approach where we sit around and talk about it and understand it from different angles and ask questions. And that's the sort of thing I like. And mm. so I remember asking my maths teacher, you know, yeah, I get that this goes with that and come up with that answer, but why? And he would never t- answer me, why? <laughs> why am I learning this? But why does that work that way? You know, and he wouldn't, he was so intelligent that he wrote textbooks. You know, he knew his stuff, but he didn't yeah. know how to, again, like what you were saying earlier, he didn't know how to articulate to me why that was important. But then I remember the teachers that I did love. And that made a massive impact on me. You know, I remember I had a, I had a crappy science teacher as well. And, and I thought that I hated science when I was in high school. And then I, I leave high school and I go, Oh, I actually love science. Yep. So I was really frustrated that I, I didn't get a good experience with science, but man, I had an amazing experience with, with art. I had an amazing experience with drama. I, I had some fantastic teach, oh, English fantastic teachers that, you know, instilled in me a, a, a love and a passion for, you know, for all sorts of things. So I admire teachers. Not all of them. Not all of them. But I think, you know, what, what percentage of teachers do you want to say you don't admire? Yeah, good point. So out of the teachers that I've seen in schools, I would say like maybe, maybe 10% of them. Yeah. Are terrible, and maybe fifty percent of them are really trying really hard and doing the most they can. And there's some people there that have been doing it for a long time and have just got in a bit of a rut. I think. Yep, I can I can see teachers that get frustrated because they want to teach and they're spending so much time trying to deal with behavioural issues. And man, that'd be hard because you didn't go in it into it to deal with behavioural issues. You went in because you wanted to teach. You wanted to impart knowledge. Also, this this really surprised me when I started working at schools, that teachers aren't necessarily working in the area that they're trained in. Yeah, that's interesting, yeah. It blows my mind. Like, why the hell have you got someone that's trained in English, but they're not teaching any English subjects? It happens far more regularly than you would think it would be. I'm wondering, is, is that just more of a... Because I encountered that more in Tasmania than I have here in Sydney. And is that because of the size of the schools that the Tasmanian teachers need to have a diversity of portfolios or <laughs> something that they have to carry out? I don't know. Might be to do with the size of the schools, yeah. But I think it's also a supply and demand thing. Like you have a lot of PE teachers coming through and you've only got one role at each school for the PE teacher. So a lot of them end up going into grade seven and eight where they're teaching every subject. What about the value, Nick, of having counsellors, psychologists, youth workers, chaplains, all of these 
you know, different welfare-related roles within schools. Because when I went to school, we had a guidance officer who was there like one day a week and you you might see him once in your school life. Uh, he would sort of like, he would do some little test with you and, and he'd map out a career path that didn't suit you whatsoever. But <laughs> I think that was it. Maybe you had a school nurse for you when you graze your knee. I don't know, but there wasn't much there. I don't remember anything at our school. There may have been something and maybe it's just that I never sought them out. But like I have no knowledge whatsoever of any social worker, psychologist, guidance officer, chaplain, anything when I was at school. Mm. But now. Yeah, it's different. So, what do I think of that? Yeah, what is it valuable and worth investing in? I don't know. I would think so. Certainly from what I've seen of the social workers and psychologists in the schools that I've worked in, yeah, they're massively important and they do awesome work um it's harder for me to speak about chaplains because the only chaplain i've seen is me and i think i'm bloody awesome um no that's not true i have seen chaplains in other schools and some of them are awful like uh, to the point where we told our school that we didn't want our kids to have anything to do with the chaplain which was pretty funny because i was working as a chaplain at the time but not because of anything religious she was just a Idiot. To be clear, it's not the current chaplain at the school that my kids go to. She's fantastic. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know about chaplains. I definitely dislike what the Liberal government did when they... Uh, so, the Liberal gov- government started the chaplaincy program to be specifically chaplains. The When the Labor government came in, they broadened the program, I suppose they would say, to say that schools could choose to employ a secular youth worker if the school felt like that was more appropriate for their community. I think that makes heaps of sense. Schools should be able to decide whether it's a Christian chaplain, whether it's a secular youth worker, whether it's a Muslim chaplain, whatever. The school should be able to make that choice. And the Liberal government, when they got back into power, when whoever it was, Turnbull or Abbott or whatever, changed it back to being just chaplain. And I don't think that's helpful. I think each school community should be able to choose what's most appropriate for them. Mm. But yeah, there are plenty of social and psychological issues going on with young people in our schools. And it makes sense that it's a pretty streamlined way for those students to be able to access services, to be able to do it while they're at school. Their parents don't have to take them to appointments. It seems like a win-win situation to me to have social workers and psychologists there to be able to catch those students as early on as possible in their life. Because the the earlier you can pick up the these issues, the more chance you've got to make a positive impact. All right, we, we've been going a long time, Chris, and I think we'll Have just we? keep rabbiting on unless we uh, come to a close. I've got a few more things that I want to shoot through to you, though, so I'll do them in, like, rapid-fire format. How's that sound? And you can respond to whichever ones you want to respond to. Okay. I'll get my pen and paper down. Yep. All right, got it. Fire away. All right. I reckon teaching degrees should be far more like apprenticeships. So it shouldn't just be that you sit in university and learn about this and this and this, but there should be far more where you're actually doing on-the-job learning. Like, you still need that time in the university to learn about certain things, but I think it is absolutely batshit crazy that teachers come out the end of a four-year university degree and don't have more than, like, two days of lesson plans. Like, that's just insane to me. A first-year teacher... if they've just gone through four years of study, they should have a year's worth of lesson plans. It shouldn't be that hard to do. And so I reckon apprenticeships where you're actually sitting in classes, working with another teacher who's an experienced teacher, That's a, again, that's a win-win for everyone. The student teacher will learn so much more. The school's 
that's a massive advantage again. That's essentially your teacher's aid for every classroom if you did that for every university student, if they all had to spend significant time in schools. I think that's a massive win-win. There you go. There's one. Yeah, quicker, quicker. Sorry, first-year <laughs> teachers need way more support. They need to be like buddied up with a more experienced teacher because that first year of teaching, I've seen so many teachers just burn out Yeah. Um, because they don't have enough support because they're just up till midnight every night doing lesson plans and marking kids work sorry rapid fire (laughs) i'm open to the idea this is something that happens in scandinavia i'm open to the idea of making teaching harder to get into not easier but harder to get into so making the you know the tce score that you need to get into it instead of being 20 making it 80 or something you know up there with being a lawyer or a doctor or whatever but obviously along with that you would also need to increase the wages for teachers which again i think is not such a bad thing um, because you want the best people in our society to become teachers maybe Uh, I'm not sure about that because you also don't want to take those people away from being doctors I really want there to be good doctors (laughs) this one may be controversial it should be easier for schools to fire teachers I think the education unions do a pernicious job in the way that they support terrible teachers they because you know the education union don't know whether a teacher's good or not they don't know any of these teachers Uh, but they get called in by a dodgy teacher who's having life made difficult on them by the principal because they're not doing their bloody job. Um, So, yep, should be able to fire a teacher much easier. It's almost impossible. I've seen crappy teachers, good principals, just not be able to fire a teacher. And the education unions make it that much harder. Um, There you go. That's all. All right. Yeah. Tick, tick, tick. And, yeah, the last one, you know, I can somewhat agree with you, but teaching degrees including apprenticeships, buddy systems for first-year teachers, teaching being harder to get into so you get the best people. That's what the Scandinavian countries have been doing. That's working. But we also want smaller class sizes, which means more teachers, which means, you know, just better training of teachers would is sort of integral if we're going to make that. That's a hard one to do, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. And firing teachers, I can understand that principle, but that's the, the pros and the cons of protecting people in employment, you know. It's going to be helpful in some cases and unhelpful in others, you know, so. Yeah, I was going to say, but if you're good at your job, you're not going to get fired, but that's not really true. I've also seen a good teacher yeah. essentially get fired because the principal just didn't like her. So, yeah. 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 We did get a comment from Jess Tyrrell oh, yes. who uh, is saying that she's doing an internship, um, an educational internship, and it's the best thing she's done. It's a new ad- initiative in Tasmania apparently. So, there you go. That might be what I start doing then. I didn't realise you could do that in Tasmania. I might jump on that. Cool. Cheers, Jess. Thank you for letting me know about that. Yep. Just to add to those things, things that we could be doing better is I would like us to in- include the actual students and the young people in having more of a say in how their education is delivered to them. You know, I, whether that's through some sort of conference, you know, that the, the brightest students go off to, whether that's through little councils within schools. I want to see young people be invested in their own education more. Mm. One thing we're going to need to do is also reform education to fit better with with the jobs that are going to be out there by the time they finish school. That's a worry that, you know, society and the jobs are changing so quickly and school can often change so slowly. Yeah. But I think school is important. We need to, you know, and I want to see young people invested in it and wanting to learn. I want to see them because we need people to develop, you know, problem-solving skills. We need them to develop critical thinking skills. Better educated people is better for us and our nation. It's better for you. It's better for me. It's just better for everyone. And, oh, the big one, 
I almost forgot, man. The big one. Can we just make it free? <laughs> that is so stupid. That's the dumbest Why idea not? you've ever told me, Chris. Free education. Stupid idea. No, it's not. It's not the dumbest idea. People do not value things when they're not paying for I, them. I mean, we, you're looking at a lot of people who got university. Well, okay, let's look at university education. Well, you're talking about there's a lot of people who are very rich now and who are in very powerful positions and they had, if not free, then very cheap university education and they're making it almost impossible for other people to achieve that same sort of level of education because it costs so much. Rubbish! It can cost so much. It doesn't cost you anything. But then, you know, you've just got all of this debt to carry around and stress to carry around as well that it doesn't help you get the start in life, which education should be helping you get. Why do we have to make people pay for it? Oh, yeah, good point. We should make groceries free, Chris. Everyone needs food. (laughs) Groceries should be free. No, if something's valuable, you have to pay for it. Yeah, and so we... The taxpayer pays for it. <laughs> well, the taxpayer can pay for my groceries then. That's a terrible argument. I mean, we already pay for a lot of education as a taxpayer. There's a huge amount. But I'm, it, it doesn't have to be free, but I just want to make it more affordable at least. You don't want to burden young people with large amounts of debt. Now, there is an argument that, like, I mean, you have to be able to make be making a, a large amount of money before you need to repay that debt anyway. So, yeah. But I just think in the sense that education, good education, makes our whole society better and it makes, you know, it just has all of these flow-on effects, which are fantastic for our society. Why do we make it hard to get? Because I would struggle to go back and do further education. I would struggle to be able to afford because it's the time and the money to be able to do it. But it's going to be difficult to get through four years of university. You don't want to just make it easy for everyone to sign up because the whole thing's difficult. It's meant to be difficult. If it's easy, then everyone just gets it. And then that devalues it for everyone. And yeah, I can see... I can see an argument there that if you, you know, to value it, you put a dollar sign on it, that if you just make it free, then you get a whole bunch of people, like you were spouting a statistic at me earlier about university dropout rates. So, of all the people that attend university, it was something like 44% actually finished their degree, was it? Yeah. So, 56% of people drop out. Right. And you want to make it easier for people to get in. Yeah, I do. (laughs) So, the harder it is to get in, the more likely you are to complete it. The easier you make it, the less people will complete it. Like, I like the idea of having scholarships for low-income people. That's important. Yeah, yeah. Because if that's the barrier, then absolutely. But if it's that, oh, I just don't really know what I want to do with my life, I'll just go to university, that's a terrible idea. Because you'll pick something that you're not interested in or not sufficiently interested in to dedicate four years of your life to. You need to know why you're doing it. So, no, you don't want it to be easy. But do you want us to get to, like, the States? It's worse when, you know, the amount of debt that they get burdened with. And we keep heading in that direction. We keep making it more and more expensive and harder and harder. And that, I think that's a problem. I don't want to keep heading in that direction. I want it to be heading in the opposite direction. I want it to be more affordable. Yeah, there's no reason why it should be getting more expensive. Well, scholarships are fine, but you're going to have to give out a whole lot more of them. (laughs) Gosh, Chris, you must love paying tax, buddy. I do. I'll pay more tax if it means, you know, better education for everyone. (laughs) You don't mind paying tax so that 30% of people finish their degrees. Brilliant. (laughs) I just want those large companies that aren't paying any tax to pay more tax (laughs) so that I don't have to pay that tax. There it is. The large multinational companies 
they can pay for our 30% degree rate and drop it. Yeah, they can pay for it, not me. Good, comrade. Good. <laughs> but there are countries that do education for free and that do it well. Yeah, super rich countries like yeah. the Scandinavian ones. Germany and stuff. Like, what? why don't we count as super rich? We're one of the richest countries in the world per capita. Yeah, we could do it. For me, it's more. it more goes back to the idea that if you make something free, people don't value it as much. There's a person I know who runs a service. Um, they run their own business and they started offering their service free to some people of low income. And what happened is they had a really high rate of not showing up for the service that this person offered. Yep. And so, what happens is if you don't pay for a service you don't value it as much, which means that you don't end up turning up to it. And if you don't turn up to it, you're not getting any benefit. You're wasting the time of the person who's trying to provide the service. So, adding a cost to it is not disadvantaging people. It's saying, if you value this, then show me that you value it. Like, I've got a friend who wanted to lose weight, and you can lose weight just by going for a run every afternoon. You don't need anything other than that and eating healthily. But he decided that for him, that wasn't going to work. He wasn't disciplined enough to do it. And so, he spent like $1,500 that he paid to go on this specific diet thing to do it, and it worked. Because he, he knew, geez, I just spent a bloody lot of money. I better do this. Paying money shows that you value it. And if you don't have the money to pay for it in the first place? That's why the way we fund our education is good because you don't pay for it on the front end. You pay for it on the back end when you've got the degree and when you've started to earn, you know, $60,000 a year or $40,000 a year, whatever it is. If you're earning that much money, you should be able to put a roof over your head and pay $1,000 a year back to the government. That shouldn't be difficult. I don't think that's an unjust system. Saying make it all free, I don't think is helpful for the people that would end up attending university. I don't think it's good for our society. I don't know what the benefit is. Right. It's costing a huge amount for people to send their children to primary school and high school as well. Well, especially if it's a private school. It costs us like, I don't know, $400 a year per student, something like that. Maybe it's $500, but it's it's nothing. Yeah, that's cheap as. Okay. Well, I'm done. You've rebutted my argument for free education. Go back to the 70s, Goff. I still think it's a beautiful ideal, but it's but I can I can see the problems that could arise in, you know, an individual not valuing it because that yeah, I can see that. Anyway, let's get off here, Chris. All right, let's get off. Farewell, listeners. Don't we normally end by saying, what did you learn tonight? You know, if we're talking about education. Did you learn anything, Nick? I learned that you're a commie. <laughs> Socialist Democrat. I'm ready for you to start the gulags up. No, we're going to talk about that more in the next one. And no, I'm not a commie, dude. I don't know. (laughs) Call me what you want. All right. I will. Behind your back. All right. Thank you for joining us. Cheers, people. Goodbye. Much love. God, here again. Are you shaking your head incredulously or nodding in approval? Well, if you got something out of this episode, you could really help those poor idiots by contributing to or supporting the Eternity Ward. You can leave reviews on iTunes or wherever you listen to it. You can share it on social media or discuss it in your blog, podcast or fellowship group. Subscribe, like, nod your head, raise your fist, send a hallelujah. I don't know, but don't send a prayer because I'm kind of busy right now. Join the discussion in the comments section, ask questions and do come back and join us again here on the Eternity Ward. Thank <laughs> you.